Amanda, remember that time that Queen Victoria kicked her mother out of Buckingham Palace? Welcome to Remember That Time, and historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb, and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about their favorite moments in history. And it's me again. It's Anna again. <laughs> because I'm, I, I'm dying. <laughs> it's been a busy week for me. It's been a very so. busy week. I didn't have time to do notes, so Anna valiantly stepped in. Yes. And we're going to do a pretty big one today. Great. Um, Can't wait to edit it. (laughs) If you didn't get it from the intro, uh, we're talking about Queen Victoria. And she is a a hefty subject. She she had a storied life. Yeah. Um, But before we get into her life, would you like a drink update real quick? Of course. Okay, I'm having some red wine. Ooh, lovely. Mm -hmm. It's a... Actually, oh, okay, interesting. Didn't make this connection till just now. (laughs) Uh, It's the brand 19 crimes and if you Uh, haven't heard of this brand it's got like an interactive thing and it's based on these stories of like people who were sent to australia when it was still like a prison colony of england uh, and we talk about a couple people being sent to australia in this episode would you look at that Uh i'm drinking water Gotta stay hydrated. Gotta stay on brand. My school had a flu outbreak, so I gotta stay hydrated. Oh, man. Ugh. It was bad. Yikes. Well, you know, that's what you get. Um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> the decisions I have made have led me here. Uh, so should we talk about Queen Victoria? Of course. Okay. So this might be a little bit of a long one. Um, I've also, uh, omitted a lot. Sure. So as to not make it a super long one. (laughs) (laughs) I want people to be able to listen. So it would be unlistenable if I kept in everything about Victoria's life and reign. So just disclaimer. (laughs) Uh, so Victoria is born at Kensington Palace as Princess Alexandrina Victoria of Kent, on May 24th, 1819. Quite the name. Yes. Um, her father is Prince Edward, Duke of Kent and Strathern. I think I said that right. Um, and he is the fourth son of the reigning king of the UK at the time, George III. And okay. if you will recall, he is the tyrant King George, who was on the throne during the American Revolution. Ah, uh, yes, that one. Yes. So <laughs> I'm familiar, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think all of I know his work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, (sighs) (laughs) it's so early in the episode for you to have that side. I'm literally on, like, the second bullet point. Oh, Um, gosh. So, up until 1817, which, if you'll recall, is before Victoria is born, um, Edward's niece, uh, Princess Charlotte of Wales, was the only legitimate grandchild of George III. So she was the one who was going to be taking the throne if her father and grandfather were gone. Right. Um, however, she died very young, um, which brought about a bit of a succession crisis. Um, of because at the time, Prince Edward, Duke of Kent, was not yet married. And his other brother, uh, another one of his brothers, was not yet married. Um, so they, they sort of rushed into marriage to have children. 
So in 1818, uh, Prince Edward marries Princess Victoria of Saxe-Coburg-Saalfeld. I was very impressed with that. It's German. I don't know that. I know some of the German words here, but no, not that one for some reason. Um, and she is, she's a widowed German princess. So she's been married before. Mm-hmm. Um, princess Victoria, who I will refer to later as uh, the Duchess, because that's mm. the title she gets when she marries Edward. Um, right. and, I, and it's kind of confusing to say Victoria and also Victoria. Of course. <laughs> um, so the Duchess has two children from her previous marriage. Carl and Theodora, and her brother, Leopold, is Princess Charlotte's widower. So he was supposed to marry Charlotte or something? I don't totally know. That's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of that. Hello. (laughs) Uh, So Victoria is christened as Alexandrina after uh, one of her godparents, who is Emperor Alexander I of Russia. Of course. Um, and after Victoria and Victoria after her mother. So when she is born, Victoria is fifth in line for the throne after the four eldest sons of George the First. So at the time the prince regent who is first in line is and becomes George the fourth? Yes. Did I say that right? Uh-huh. Um he has no surviving children. Uh, Frederick, Duke of York, who is older brother of her? Sure. Yeah. Um, (laughs) one of the brothers has no children. Um, and both of these men are estranged from their wives and their wives are past childbearing age. So they're probably not going to have any other kids. Right. And her other uncle, William, uh, the Duke of Clarence, who later becomes William the Fourth, has two legitimate children, but both die as infants. One of them being the aforementioned Princess Charlotte. Wow! So that's how Victoria becomes technically fifth in line when she's born. Does that make sense? Right. It's a lot. Yes, I was curious about that because I was like, he definitely had sons, but that makes sense. Yeah, um, it's complicated. It is so. But when Victoria is less than a year old, her father dies. Then King George III, who is on the throne, dies. And is succeeded by his son, who becomes George IV. Sure. Who, remember, has no surviving children. Uh And this makes Victoria third in line. Moving her way up. Moves her right on up. Frederick, the Duke of York, one of her uncles, dies in 1827. And then George, who is king at the time, dies in 1830. And then William, who is now William IV, takes the throne. And this makes Victoria his heir presumptive. So she's next in line. That happened very quickly. Yes. And she's very young still. Yeah, this is, she's what, like, Mm, let's see, 1830? So, sure. I'm not good at math. 1819. Yeah, she would have been 11. Yeah. So, um, the Regency Act in 1830 is passed, um, which has a special provision to make Victoria's mother, the Duchess, regent if William dies while Victoria is still too young to take the throne. Sure. 
William does not like the Duchess. Oh, boy. He does not trust her. And in 1836, he declares in her presence that he wants to live until Victoria's 18th birthday so that they can avoid a regency. Oh, my God. He doesn't want to live so he can continue to live and rule. He wants to live (laughs) so that he never sees that woman on the throne. Yeah, exactly. That's a a whole new level of petty. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just had to take a sip of my drink. Um, And we're going to talk now a little bit more about Victoria's mother. And um, I think you'll understand why William didn't really trust her. I mean, we call her the Duchess. And that will just always make me think of the Duchess in Alice in Wonderland, which is like weird vibes. The Duchess in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, isn't the um, lady with the baby the Duchess in the book? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I went to the movie and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> um, so Victoria's mother is very protective. And she isolates Victoria for most of her childhood under what is becomes known as the Kensington system. Okay. The Kensington system is made up by her mother. Of course it is. <laughs> so it's created by the Duchess and her comptroller, who's basically like a sort of a financial advisor to to simplify it it Um, seems so weird to hear like a victorian era person called a comptroller but this is pre-victorian era i know but you know what i mean like a comptroller i mean the term had to come from somewhere i guess i know i know um and also he's rumored to be the duchess's lover just of course um but his name is john conroy um, and there, are, it's just an elaborate set of rules and protocols. I will tell you some of them now. Of course. Uh, the system is aimed at keeping the young Princess Victoria very weak and very dependent. Sure. And therefore uh, unlikely to side with her other relatives on her father's side, who her mother really wanted to keep her away from. Um, this because like that that girl whose mom like put her on all those medicines. Oh, you're talking obs- about Gypsy Rose. Yes. Yes. And uh, you know what I mean? Munchausen syndrome? I can't remember. But I like, think. You know what I mean? Oh, yes, I do. Um, yeah. It is a similar vibe. That's for, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, and her, her father's relatives are part of the House of Hanover, which are German rulers. Um, and... The Duchess and Conroy are, like, not on their side, and they really mm. don't want Victoria to have any part of them. Sure. Um, Victoria is never, basically never allowed to be apart from her mother, her tutor, or her governesses. Oof. Her governesses are Bar- Baroness Lazen, who's very important to her, and the Duchess of Northumberland. I might be saying Lazen wrong, but I think that that's right. Um, so she's mostly kept isolated from other children and basically everybody. And her mother and Conroy, like, monitor and record basically her every move. Uh, it's so wild. (laughs) Victoria basically has two friends, her half-sister, Fiodora, and Conroy's young daughter, Victoire. And... Victoria shares a bedroom with her mother. Oh, bad. <laughs> bad and cursed and bad. Yeah. I mean, she does get a pretty good education. She she learns French, German, Italian, and Latin. She's very smart. But at what cost? Yeah, it's like all she does, yeah. basically. It's a bummer. 
It's a real bummer. It's a bummer way to grow up. Yeah. And then throughout the 1830s, so up until I think uh, probably around like 1835 or 36, if I'm remembering correctly, um... The Duchess of Kent, her mother, and Conroy take Victoria on, like, several trips across England and Wales, and they stop in towns and at the great country houses and visit people. And King William is not a fan of these tours, because what they look like is a sovereign touring her country. And he thinks it presents her as a rival rather than an heir. Like people wanting to be like, oh, I like her. I want her on the throne now instead of exactly. later. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and Victoria doesn't like them, A, because they make her feel very tired and sick and she's not getting a lot of rest. Right. But B, because she knows that her uncle doesn't approve and she's... She's, she's in a precarious situation. Well, she's a kid, and she knows she's going to get the throne, and she doesn't want to upset the person who has it now. Yeah. <laughs> because she's logical. <laughs> um, so throughout Victoria's childhood and her teenage years, her mother and Conroy are, like, constantly pressuring her to make Conroy part of her staff. Um, they They want him to basically be her main advisor when she is finally on the throne, and Ooh. she consistently refuses. Good on she, you. She hates Conroy. She's yes. not a fan. I would too. Yeah, good judge of character. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, and and by the time she does become queen, she bans Conroy from her presence. Um, though he is allowed <laughs> Love that. He's, he's allowed to stay in her mother's household for a while. Um, but we'll get to we'll get to that. Um so let's talk about young Victoria needing a husband. Oh boy. So by 1836, Victoria's family's like, we should probably get her married pretty soon. As you do. Um, So her maternal uncle, Leopold, previously mentioned, her mother's brother, who had been king of the Belgians since 1831, uh, wanted to marry her to Prince Albert, uh, the son of his brother, Ernst I, Duke of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. So Prince Albert is Victoria's first cousin. Of course. Because Ernst is her mother's brother as well. Yes. Um, He arranges for Victoria's mother to invite the Coburg relatives um, and so that Victoria and Albert can meet. William, who is the king, recall, um, doesn't like this match. And he wants Victoria to marry Prince Alexander of the Netherlands, Who's the second? He's the second son of the Prince of Orange, and that's a good alliance for them. But Victoria doesn't really like him. <laughs> she does like Albert quite a lot, and uh-huh. uh, we shall revisit that. We'll come right on back to that. <laughs> um, so Victoria turns eighteen in eighteen thirty-seven, avoiding a regency. Thank God. And less than a month later, on June 20th, William <gasps> dies at the age of 71. He wasn't kidding. He was not he kidding. Really, he really was just like, I will make it until she's 18 <laughs> and then I'll be free from this mortal coil. Like, he really <laughs> just wanted to make it. <laughs> Isn't it so weird? I feel like stuff like that happens throughout history a lot. Uh, only in the lives of kings. Like... Yeah, that's really what I mean. 
It's so interesting, though. Yeah. Little tiny things like that are, it, it always, that's always how it happens. Yeah. I can't believe that level of petty. That's incredible. <laughs> it's a very intense level of pettiness. That fool got on the throne in, what, 1830 and was like, I could kick it for th- seven more years. I could make it. I'm old, but I could make it. And then you have to factor in the possibility of assassination. That's some maneuver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So at age 18, Victoria becomes queen of the United Kingdom. Oh, boy. And here we go. Yes. And official documents prepared actually, uh, uh, for the first day of her reign, actually name her as Alexandrina Victoria, but the first name is dropped at her wish mm-hmm. and they ne- and never used again. Huh. So I think most people don't know that, like, Victoria wasn't. Yeah, well, I didn't know that. No. I didn't know that. So, <clears throat> little something interesting. So, since 1714, Britain had actually shared a monarch with Hanover in Germany. And she is technically the next one in this line. Hmm. But under the laws there, women are not, they're excluded from the Hanoverian succession. So she technically would have inherited it. Should have been next in line. Mm-hmm. Um, so she inherits the British dominions, but she's not allowed to inherit the dominions they have in Germany. And her father's younger brother, the Duke of Cumberland, becomes King of Hanover instead of her. Huh. And he technically then becomes her heir presumptive in Britain until she has children. Huh. That's weird. It is buck wild. <laughs> That is far too much. So much stuff. Far too much. So when she takes the throne, uh, the Whig party in Britain is in power and her prime minister is Lord Melbourne, who is a pretty uh, solid figure in her life until he leaves office. And in fact, he resigns eventually. And I don't want to go like too deep into all the prime ministers and stuff because she was on the throne for a long time. She had a lot of prime <laughs> ministers, okay? But this one was very important to her. He's sort of her first political influence. Sure, she because she's throne. been kept away for that. Yeah, and she sees him a lot as a father figure because he's really the only one there to advise her. Because he's not terrible. Well, for well, the most I mean, part. He's really not. He's not. Not in the way that her last what would have been a father figure was just like horrible. Ugh. Yeah, you're right. You're right. A positive male influence in her life. Yeah. He's a very big influence on her, though. Yeah. So on June 28th, 1838, Victoria is officially crowned at Westminster Abbey. Nice. Um, Over 400,000 people come to London for the celebrations. And Victoria then moves into Buckingham Palace. And she is the first sovereign to live at Buckingham Palace. So where the, the queen lives now. Right. Victoria was the first one to live there. I didn't know that. I feel like yes. I should have known that, but I didn't know that. Yeah. And a lot of her, like, art collection and stuff is still there. I did um, know that. Yeah. So, um, the Duchess, her mother, is given a remote apartment in the palace, um, and Victoria often refuses to see her. Again, a good call. Yeah. So, this is when uh, Conroy is, like, still allowed to be there. Um. But he's not allowed to be in her presence. Um, Which is also 
pretty good call. It's a real good queen move. Yeah, like, for sure. I'm the queen now and I don't like you. Don't come near me. <laughs> and you suck and you've sucked my whole life. Don't come near I me. live for that. I live for yeah. that. Um, so because Victoria is unmarried, even though she is the queen, it is still the social convention that because she is a single woman, she should be living with her mother or her parents. Ugh. So that's kind of keeping the queen there. Right. So there are a few more visits with Albert coming, a couple more visits with Albert coming to see her and, and then going back. And he finally gets invited to come to um, the palace in Windsor in October of 1839. And five days after he arrives on the 15th of October, Victoria proposes to him. Love that. I mean, not oh. the first cousin part, but the her proposing part. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's the queen. She had to. I know. But I That was like the law. It. Like, for real, that was the law. I know. He wasn't allowed to propose to her. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But you can't propose to the queen. You can't propose to the queen. You cannot propose to the queen. She's in charge. It's her choice. For sure. Um, And also, I found this funny. I forgot to put it in my notes, but... The bit about she still needed to live with her mom because she was single. Uh, I believe it was Lord Melbourne basically was like, well, marriage is kind of the solution to that. And she said something like it was a an unfortunate alternative or something like that. <laughs> oh, my God. Because, <laughs> you know, she was 18. She's probably like, I'm not really yeah. into that just yet. But what are you going to do? Yeah. So on February 10th, 1840, Victoria and Albert are married in the Chapel Royal of St. James's Palace in London. And I think everybody who knows anything about Victoria knows that her relationship with Albert was like the most important thing in her life. Mm -hmm. Extremely important to her. Um, Albert becomes basically a political advisor to her, which was uncommon. The spouse of the sovereign typically just didn't have a say. Um... And he sort of replaces Lord Melbourne as, like, the dominant influence in her life. Right. The Duchess is evicted from the palace. (laughs) Bye! To a different house. Oh my god, Um, can you imagine waking up in the morning and being a terrible person like her? And just be like, "Mm, what a beautiful day. And then somebody comes (laughs) knocking on your door and they're like, you gone. Time to go. Like getting an eviction notice from your daughter. What Oof. a power move. Your daughter, the queen from the palace. Bye. Oh, God. Ouch. Incredible. Yeah. And Conroy is pensioned off. And Bye. So, see ya. Goodbye forever. And I think that that means, I don't totally know, and I didn't dig too deep into it, but I think that means technically he's not allowed to be part of her mother's household anymore because he's not employed by the queen anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. But over the years, Albert sort of mediates between Victoria and her mom to sort of improve the relationship. Um, Sure. But they're not, they're not what you would call close. Yeah, I figured. Fair enough when your mother just like controls you your whole life. Yeah, it's bad. That's bad. Bad start. See you never. For real. So in 1840, Victoria becomes pregnant for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, during the pregnancy... Can I just tell you, this is yeah. a quick aside, every yeah. time somebody gets pregnant, I'm filled with a sense of dread from the King Henry days. I'm well, like, oh god, it's all gonna fall apart. And yeah. I know that's not always the case, but the memory of King Henry, like, washes over me, and I get mm-hmm. fearful. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and she wasn't too hype on it either. Back to that. <laughs> Back to that in just a moment. But during her first pregnancy, Queen Victoria experiences her first assassination attempt. Oh, oh my God. 18-year-old Edward Oxford attempts to assassinate her while she's riding in her carriage with Albert. Oh, my God. Um, he, I think he, I think Albert spots him after he fires. Um, and they catch him. And he's... Tried for high treason, but found not guilty due to insanity. Um, and then Victoria becomes very popular. <laughs> <laughs> she's young. She's pregnant. You tried uh-huh. to kill her and she survived. She's the hero now. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. True enough. And there are a lot of fluctuations in her popularity. Like there was yeah. this whole scandal about one of the women in their household. It was a whole thing. I didn't include it in here because it's like a lot of detail. Uh-huh. Um, but so her, her popularity dips after this, but then, you know, eventually it comes back up yeah um so november 21st 1840 victoria's first daughter is born also named victoria yes love that name them after yourself i mean i know it's a monarch thing but also yes go for it yeah seriously uh she did not like being pregnant she was disgusted by breastfeeding oh and she thought newborn babies were ugly (laughs) fair enough and also i read somewhere else i can't remember that she was like pretty terrified of dying in childbirth as you well, might expect yeah she was not hype on being pregnant fair however victoria and albert do have eight more children after that that's so many more to have if you hate pregnancy yeah well i mean you're a queen what are you gonna do i know but my god yeah so they have albert edward in 1841 alice in 1843 alfred in 1844 Helena in 1846, Louise in 1848, it's a lot of close pregnancies, Arthur in 1850, (laughs) Leopold in 1853, and finally Beatrice in 1857. So Victoria's household, so like her family life, her children, is largely run by that childhood governess of hers, Baroness Louise Lazen. Um, She was really important to Victoria because she was one of the only people during victoria's childhood to support her i was gonna say who didn't totally suck yeah she was she was against the kensington system good and she didn't want victoria to have to adhere to all those rules and plus i think that she had more of a sense of the fact that like this girl's gonna be queen and she needs to be prepared and have the ability to make her own decisions you know um i love the idea that her mother like was like, I'm going to do this to her her whole childhood, so I'll have control of her when she's the queen. And then it completely backfired into, oh, "Oh, you treated me terribly my entire life, and now I'm the queen. Yeah, totally. Like, that didn't even occur to her that that could be the situation. Her mistake is that she never learned that her daughter was strong-willed. Yeah. And wasn't going to take that. Yeah. You know? Um, Albert is not the biggest fan of Lazen. Uh, he saw her as incompetent and he didn't like the way he managed the, the children and thought that she was like endangering his daughter's health. Mm. Um, I think that has probably had a lot to do with like his German sensibilities and Uh. it's just different would be my guess. Um, Uh Victoria and Albert fought about it a lot. And then eventually Victoria kind of gave in because she realized like it wasn't making him happy and Lazen was pensioned off, um, in 1842 and her relationship with Lazen just sort of ended which was kind of sad but sad 
But in a way, it was just like, okay, time to strike out on your own, kid. You know? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the things that happened during Victoria's reign. Sure. So in 1845, if you will recall, there was a great famine in Ireland. There sure was. Over one million Irish people die and another million immigrate because they Uh don't have any food. Um, And Victoria is known in Ireland as the famine queen. Uh Uh-huh. Because it happened on her watch. (laughs) Yep. Um, But in 1847, Victoria donates 2,000 pounds? Euros? What's... I can't read the sign. Pounds. Pounds. I knew that. I second-guessed myself. Um, Personally, to the British Relief Association for for famine relief. Um, And it was more than any other individual donor. And so that sort of helped her image there a little bit um to at least to the extent where it was like they weren't so much trying to overthrow the queen as much Um, for now for now um victoria is also interested in proving relations between britain and france and if you will remember has been a pretty big problem yeah Uh, and she is actually the first british or english because before they were yes frequent. yes yes um monarch to visit a french monarch since the meeting of henry the seventh of england and francis the first of france in 1520 wow right i never knew that until i read it huh like, interesting uh king this is not about victoria so much but it's interesting king louis philippe the first of france reciprocates the visit in 1844 and he becomes the first french king to visit a british sovereign wow so lots of firsts for victoria's right yeah. in 1853 when victoria gives birth to her eighth child leopold she uses the then new anesthetic chloroform she loves it so much because of the pain relief that it gives her that she uses it again when she gives birth to her final oh child, Beatrice, God. in 1857. Here, just knock yourself all the way out and we'll hey, get that baby you out you know there. what? Let me tell you something, though. If I were her and I had already had oh, up to that point six yes. children without the use of any pain relief oh, and they yeah. gave me something, I'd be like, cool. Whatever it is, I'll take it. No, I totally get it. Just knowing what we know, it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Well, there is a lot of opposition uh, from the clergy who consider it the aid of chloroform to be against biblical teaching. Okay. So So the clergy were all men then. So you tell me about that again Uh when you have to give birth. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try again. Try again. (laughs) But there was also opposition from medical professionals who saw it as dangerous. Sure. So it's not like they didn't know. Yeah. I mean, a, a little bit they didn't know. Um, and Victoria also most likely experienced postpartum depression after many of her pregnancies, which is yeah. unsurprising. Yeah. So, then something happens. In 1857. <laughs> That's just all of history. Yeah, So then I don't, something happens. Okay, this is a complicated occurrence. Okay. And I'm not getting deep into it. Okay. We're just doing it in the context of this one portion. Okay. So in 1857, an uprising in India ends. The Indian Rebellion of 1857. The British East India Company, up until that time, had controlled 
pretty much all of India. Yep. Um, and at that point, it is dissolved. And Britain's possessions and protectorates on the Indian subcontinent are formally incorporated into the British Empire. Okay, right, yes. Pretty big thing happening here. So when this happens, the Victoria is now technically in charge of India. Um, and then in 1876, they pass a Royal Titles Act in Parliament that gives her the title Empress of India. So when you look at Victoria, you usually see like Queen of the United Kingdom and Ireland and Empress of India. Right. For a part of her reign. And that is why. Oh, that is Because they changed the title. Yeah. For whatever reason. (laughs) I don't totally get it. But anyway, the the Indian Rebellion and the then control taken by the British Empire is all very interesting, but it's kind of its own episode. So (laughs) I'm not going to go into too much of it. So in March of 1861... Victoria's mother dies. Bye. Well, by this point, they've made up a little bit. Yeah. That's, um, just, that's just me. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Victoria is actually at her side when she dies. Oh. And Victoria is heartbroken. Um, and I'm going to quote this. Blamed Conroy and Lazen for wickedly estranging her from her mother. Oh. And to an extent with Conroy, fair. Not so much with Lazen. No. But... Whatever. Um, so she's in mourning and she's depressed and in grief. And so Albert starts taking on a lot of her duties during that time, despite the fact that he is becoming ill with chronic stomach trouble. Mm. So by December of 1861, Albert is very unwell and he's diagnosed with typhoid fever. Oh, yikes. And on December 14th, he dies. Oh, it's a terrible year she's having there. Yeah. And then all downhill for Victoria personally. Uh Uh-huh. She wears black for the remainder of her life. Mm -hmm. So we've all seen pictures of her in the black dress with the whatever hat kerchief thing she wears. Right. Um, And she, she dresses like that for the remainder of her life after Albert dies. She's in such deep mourning. She goes full goth. Yeah. Well, she was very much in love with him, and they had a really close relationship. I know. Um, and they were kind of more. But a lot of the gothic, the like gothic culture as we know it now, the like dress. Oh yeah. Like, obsession with that thing comes from this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and they were also sort of what probably one of the first more quote unquote modern couples on the throne to have more of a partnership yeah you know so Uh it's very hard for her um after albert's death she begins avoiding public appearances she doesn't go out very much um she earns the nickname the widow of windsor Mm -hmm. very clever public um (laughs) she begins comfort eating and she gains a lot of weight Mm. as you might expect um, and her isolation encourages the beginning of the growth of the Republican movement oh. in Britain. Yeah. Um, she continues to, to do her official, like, governmental duties, but she remains secluded. People don't really see her. So in the 1860s, uh, Victoria has a, and I'm using the word that I read. Oh, boy. 
manservant. I hate that term. I hate that term. It's so stupid. Um, from Scotland, and his name is John Brown. And they're very close. Um, and he's basically her companion for quite some time. And of course, there are rumors that they're lovers and they secretly got married or whatever. And she starts being referred to as Mrs. Brown. Again, so clever. Yeah. Really got her with that one, y'all. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1870, there is a Republican rally in Trafalgar Square demanding Victoria's removal. Because, again, they haven't seen her. Um, so, again, that's more of the Republican sentiment spreading yeah. throughout the country. Um, in August and September of 1871, Victoria is seriously ill with an abscess in her arm. Which is Lanston treated with the new antiseptic carbolic acid spray. Mm. So more new things. All kinds of new medicine for this woman. And yeah, medicine, I mean chloroform. <laughs> I mean poison. I mean poison. Yeah. So in foreign policy, Victoria sees the expansion of the British Empire as well. She. Well, she's a colonialist, Uh, (laughs) to put it simply. Um, She sees it as protecting, quote unquote, protecting native peoples from more aggressive powers or cruel rulers. We Uh, have to go and, yeah. All people must be enslaved to some empire, so why not be us, the nice ones? (laughs) Where are the good ones, though? Yeah, very that. Very that. So... More sad things happen to Victoria this now. poor woman. Um, in November of 1878, Princess Alice, her daughter, falls ill with diphtheria. Um, and on December 14th, the anniversary of Alice's father's <gasps> death, she dies. Oh, my God. And she's the first of Victoria's children to die. And Victoria outlives her by more than 20 years. Wow. Wild. Wild indeed. Um, on March 17th, 1883, Victoria falls down some stairs at Windsor, and she's lame. She can't really walk until July, and she never fully recovers. Ten days after her accident, her companion, John Brown, dies. Oh, my God. And then, exactly one year after John Brown's death, in 1884, Victoria is informed by telegram that her youngest son, Leopold, has died How in Cannes, France. is it possible that this kind of stuff continues to happen to her? It's like in waves. Like, that it all happens so at once. wild. I know. She's not done. There's oh, more sad God. stuff coming up, but we're not there yet. So, in 1887, Victoria reaches her golden jubilee, which is 50 years mm-hmm. on the throne. Here's something interesting. June 23rd of 1887. I'm going to read a quote here. Um, Victoria engaged two Indian Muslims as waiters, one of whom was Abdul Karim. He was soon promoted to Munshi, which is, I, it had a couple different meanings, but I think in this context, it sort of boiled down to like teacher. And he teaches her Urdu, known as Hindustani, I think. And acts as a clerk for her. Her family are not happy. And accuse Abdul Karim of spying for the Muslim Patriotic League. And biasing the queen against the Hindus. Oh, wow. it's a lot. 
Yeah. Victoria dismisses their complaints as racial prejudice, which sure. they are. Yes. Uh, she was right about that one. And Abdul Karim remains in her service um, until he returns to India when she dies. And he gets a pension when hmm. when she dies and he leaves. Uh, September 23rd, 1896, Victoria officially surpasses her grandfather, George III, as Britain's longest reigning monarch. Ooh. She requests that any celebrations about that be delayed until the following year to coincide with her diamond jubilee of 60 years of rule. Sure. Why not? Yes. So that happens June 22nd of 1897. And she is 78 when she reaches her diamond jubilee. Wow. So she has yeah. a bunch of terrible years and then she has like a party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mini mini party period. And then many she goes parties. back. <laughs> yeah. And again, we're hitting lots of bullet points here, but it ain't the whole reign, baby. There's just so much that happens while she's on the throne. I mean, think about it. It's 1897 now. You know? Yeah. She's been around for a while. Yeah. Um, in 1889, Victoria visits uh, Biarritz and becomes the first reigning monarch from Britain to set foot in Spain. Whoa, that's also wild. Yeah, I know, right? I just realized I haven't taken a drink in a long time and I really need one. So. <laughs> My mouth was really dry and I was like, why is that? Oh, <laughs> Duh. Ooh, How does that, huh? Hmm, how'd that happen? And then... Something sad happens again. In of July course. of 1900, Victoria's second son, Alfred, dies. Wow. All that petty from that other guy who lived until she was 18. Like yeah. that that longevity transferred to her upon his death immediately. <laughs> he was yeah. like, you're going to live forever. It revitalized her. As I go, you shall live forever. It Here gave her go. the serum of youth. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Um, in uh, around Christmas of 1900, Victoria visits Osborne House on the Isle of Wight. Um, and rheumatism in her legs from that fall Oof. at this point has rendered her lame yet again. Her eyesight is really clouded. She's got cataracts by this point. And through early January, she felt, quote, weak and unwell. And by mid-January, she was drowsy, dazed, and confused. Oh. And on January 22nd of 1901, Victoria dies at the age of 81. Aww. And her son Edward succeeds her as Edward VII. She lived for a long time. A long time. She made it into time. the next century. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Mm. Also, I want you listeners to know that as I'm looking at our notes here, we have two more pages and Victoria should- just died. It should go pretty quickly. <laughs> I, uh, but it's just like, that's so rare. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> Victoria just died, and yet here and we yet are. And yet here we are with two more pages yeah. of notes. Yeah, that's true. Um, so back in 1897, Victoria had written instructions for her funeral. She wanted it to be a military sort of funeral as befitting a soldier's daughter and the head of the army. Sure. And that everyone should... Do wear white instead of black. Which is so, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. She mourned her entire life. And she also wasn't really known as being like a strong military yeah. uh, sovereign. Like, um, say, Catherine the Great. It wasn't really her main huh. thing. All of that um, is really interesting. But apparently it was important to her, yeah. Huh. 
Um, so she is buried in a white dress and her wedding veil. Hmm. That's not the weird part. Yeah. In terms of her burial. It's a little, uh, it's, but it's already a little weird. So that's telling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's buried with a lot of other like family artifact sort of things. And also one of Albert's dressing gowns is placed by her side with a plaster cast of his hand. Absolutely not. Which, which when, what and how, when? (laughs) That is what I wonder about this. When was that made? And has she had it the whole time? Or was she saving it to be buried with? That's uncomfortable. But here we go. We're not done because she's also buried with a lock of John Brown's hair along with a picture of him placed in her left hand concealed from view by a carefully positioned bunch of flowers because her family was not going to approve. That's wild. She was buried like an Egyptian king. Yes, everything that you love and want with you in eternity. I'm going to stuff it in your coffin. Like a pharaoh. Like a pharaoh. Yes. It's wild. She fully is. Should have been buried in a pyramid. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So her funeral is held on February 2nd in St. George's Chapel, Windsor Castle. Um, After two days of lying in state, which is basically being on display, you know, uh, for people to see you. Um, she is interred beside Albert in Frogmore Mausoleum at Windsor Great Park. Mm. Victoria's reign lasted 63 years, seven months, and two days. Wow. And she was the longest reigning British monarch until her great-great-granddaughter, Elizabeth II, surpassed her on September 9th of 2015. Not that long ago. Not that long ago. I remember when it happened. Me too. And I remember being like, Oh, I wanted it to still be Victoria. No <laughs> offense to Elizabeth. Like, good for her, but... Yeah. I was a little bummed uh, as a bit of a Victoria history buff. Uh, Victoria was also the last monarch of Britain from the House of Hanover. Um, biographer Giles St. Alban, I think, uh, says that Victoria wrote an average of 2,500 words per day during her adult life. Wow. She kept a lot of records. Uh, her youngest daughter, Beatrice, was appointed her literary executor and transcribed and edited the diaries. Wow. From, from her ascension to the throne onwards, so not before that. Um, and burned the originals. That's a bummer. Yeah, I think some of the like original like unedited re- edited writing still exists because someone before for all of that had transcribed them exactly mm. so some of the original unedited work is still out there but the original like copies Art. were burned yeah. yeah um during victoria's reign the modern cons- constitutional monarchy was gradually established in britain which is what they have now mm-hmm. um monarchy becomes more symbolic than political right and also places a strong emphasis on family and morality values, uh-huh. which again is what you see now. Like, yeah. hello, look at this whole mess that just happened with yeah. Harry and Meghan. Like, yeah. because it's all about them, like as a family unit. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. 
And here's something else about that like family dynamic. So Albert is largely attributed with introducing the Christmas tree in the home as a tradition in Britain. Yes. Um, after he has one on display at Buckingham Palace in 1840. It was an already existing tradition. He did not bring it to Britain. Yeah. Um, but he did make it popular. Uh-huh. I knew that. We talked about that in our Christmas episode. Yes, we did. Um, so, okay, I'm going to read this quote because it's a very interesting fact and I don't want to get it wrong. Um, so Victoria's links with Europe's royal families earned her the nickname the Grandmother of Europe. Huh. Of the 42 grandchildren oh, of Victoria and Albert. My God, that's too many. I know. 34 survived to adulthood. Their living descendants include Elizabeth II, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, uh, Harold V of Norway, Carl the XVI, uh-huh. uh, Gustav of Sweden, Margaret... Mm, Mar- <laughs> Margaret... I just, it's just spelled differently. The second of Denmark and Philippe the seventh of Spain. Six. Six. Yes. I'm sorry. That is wild. Yeah. So let's talk about the royal disease. Real yes. Uh, Victoria's youngest son, Leopold, had hemophilia. And at least two of her daughters, Alice and Beatrice, were carriers. Uh-huh. So when we talk about, like, royals having hemophilia, it all traces back to Victoria. That's, like, a very common, well-known fact. Yeah. Um, the So if you'll recall from our episode about the last Romanovs, mm-hmm. Alexei Nikolaevich, who was son of Nicholas II of Russia, was a royal hemophiliac because he's descended from Victoria. Huh. Uh, the presence of the disease in Victoria's descendants, but not her ancestors, led to a lot of speculation that her dad was not her dad, but oh. it was a hemophiliac instead. Um, there is no evidence of that. <laughs> um, and there is no evidence of a hemophiliac in connection with Victoria's mother. And male carriers are like the only ones that suffer from the disease, mm. right? It's passed on, passed down from the women to the men. So right. her mother should have been a carrier, but does not seem to have been. Mm. Um, and it's more likely that the mutation arose spontaneously because Victoria's father was over 50 at the time of her conception and hemophilia arises more frequently in the children of older fathers. Huh. So That's it's just like, it, it really did just like start with her and then go down the royal line. Whoa, that's wild. Yeah. Um, okay, last little bit of facts here about Victoria. So Victoria survived many assassination attempts throughout oh her reign, besides the attempt by Edward Oxford mentioned previously. I will tell you about some of them now. Yes, please do. This one is like probably my favorite of the stories. Start off strong. Because it says a lot about Victoria as a person. <laughs> so on May 29th of 1842, Victoria and Albert ride in their open carriage from St. James's Place, where they had been at um, a church service. Oh, and by the way, I got most of these from History.com, our old friend. Thanks, History.com. Yeah. Um, and as they're riding, Albert sees a little swarthy, ill-looking rascal. Uh, who turns out to be a man named John Francis. He takes aim at them with a pistol. 
Francis pulls the trigger, but the weapon fails and he's able to escape. So Albert saw him and knows what he looks like, but he was able to get out because the sh- no shot went off and nobody else really saw him. Mm-hmm. So the next day on May 30th, Victoria insists on riding the same route because she knows he's going to show up again and she wants to draw him out. Mm. So she's like, I'm not going to be afraid. We're going to go again and we're going to get him. He did shoot again. And he was caught. He's sentenced to be hanged and quartered. But Victoria commutes his sentence to banishment for life. Wow. Yeah. Then, uh, also in 1842, on July 3rd, 17-year-old John William Bean aims a pistol at Victoria during another procession to the chapel. Uh, The gun fails and Bean escapes. But later he's found at his parents' house and he's sentenced to 18 months of hard labor. Wow. On June 19th, 1849, 24-year-old unemployed bricklayer William Hamilton fires a pistol at the royal carriage, which is carrying Victoria Victoria and three of her children, including Edward, the, the future king. Uh-huh. Uh, they're all unharmed, and William is captured and banished to the prison colony of Gibraltar for seven years. Mm, yes. <laughs> On February 29th, 1872, 17-year-old Arthur O'Connor... Scaled the fence of Buckingham Palace. Oh my god, that's like that person that scaled the fence at the White House. <gasps> yes, except this was a little more malicious, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he waits there for the Queen's carriage to return, because she'd been out. He rushes the carriage and points a pistol at her face from about a foot away. John Brown is with her, and he seizes him and tackles him. Um, the queen didn't know it, but the pistol O'Connor was carrying didn't work. Um, and he says that he had only meant to scare her into signing a document that would release Irish political prisoners being held in jail in Britain. Um, which is like, uh, it's kind of an intense way to try to scare the queen. Um, and he's sentenced to a year in prison, 20 strokes with a birch rod, and then is eventually exiled to Australia. Wow. Mm-hmm. And lastly, on March 2nd of 1882, the last assassination attempt on Victoria comes from 28-year-old Roderick McLean, who fires an errant shot at Victoria while she's in her carriage leaving Windsor Station. Mm-hmm. At Windsor Station, there are a bunch of boys from Eton College there to, like, see her off or whatever. Right. And um, they tackle McLean. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> And he's taken into custody, and he's found not guilty due to insanity, and he spends the rest of his life in an asylum. Wow. I love that a bunch of old college lads tackled down the... Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so good. And that's it on Victoria. I mean, it's kind of weird to end on the assassination attempts, I guess, but I just wanted to... There were so many of them. I find them interesting. Yeah, for sure. you know, felt like it was the right thing to do to add them in there. So... She had a long, weird, fascinating life. And again, there's so much more. Yeah, we barely even touched on all of the, like, I don't know, culture stuff that revolved around her. Yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to stick more to, like, her life. Yeah, and it's part of that idea that that's when the royal family started being, like, a little more for show. Well, yeah. And and that's because people got so obsessed with, like, what they were doing that it influenced the culture, like, so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I find that aspect of her life really interesting. Yeah. And Albert's really interesting, too. Like, he 
he was really opposed to slavery and like mm-hmm. worked very hard on that. And you know what? Let me tell you something. The BBC makes a show called Victoria. And I am very far behind, but it's really good. And yeah, for the most part, that. yeah, for the most part, pretty accurate for getting like an idea of like these people's lives. And I highly recommend it because yeah. you'll get a lot more of like the politics and um, the sort of maneuvering of the monarchy from right. that. And it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but Victoria herself was just an interesting person. She definitely was. Yeah. I think she's. I'm really, I'm fascinated with her. I could, like, talk about her for a long time. Yeah. But <laughs> we've already been talking for, like, an hour. I don't know it'll yes, be an hour indeed. in the edit, but we we have been talking for an hour. So, <laughs> uh, so that's the episode, folks. Um, sorry it was me two weeks in a row. I appreciate I talk you, though, because I, I just could not have done it this week. Yeah, but you know what you're going to do next time, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do Agatha Christie. Yes. I'm excited. I love her. I'm excited. We talked to, about how I wanted to do a mystery last time, and then mm-hmm. it never happened. But I, I'm I'm excited to do her because she's a very interesting woman. That's gonna be a good one. Yeah. Um. So that'll be the next one. And if you listeners have suggestions for other topics you'd like us to get into, or if you have questions or what have you, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet at us at rttpod. Um. If you want to throw us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb, and I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Awesome, nice. Well, join us next time for some Agatha Christie m- mysterious talk about a mysterious lady. There you go. Yeah. And so, until next time, remember that time. Mm-hmm.